Tonight I am preaching on why God became a baby, the Incarnation. And I found that in the young people where I was speaking tonight, that after it was over, one of the young men came up to me, one of the boys came up and says, are you going to talk about why God became a baby? I said, yes. He says, I especially want to hear that. I especially want to hear that. Is there something about this at Christmas time? There is, and these young people are thinking. And tonight we want to talk about it. And our text is found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. <clears throat> I'm afraid that some of us who believe these things and have known them all our lives uh, forget that when Christmas time comes, the pastor should talk about these things. We should get to the heart of them so that these young people will be able to understand exactly what God did in the babe of Bethlehem and why it was a babe. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. the entrance of Jesus Christ into this world. The entrance of Jesus Christ into this world. The entrance of Jesus Christ into this world. A little babe in a manger in Bethlehem. And in our last message on these Christmas themes, we emphasize that the angels told the shepherds that they would find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, the clothes they put about a little baby, and resting in a manger. And the shepherds said, come, let us go see the thing. And they went. And when they arrived, they found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And we asked the question, why was it that God came in this way? In my morning message, we saw Jacob. He was on his way back down to see Isaac after these 20 years, and he uh, wanted to see Esau, his brother. He had it in his heart to see him. He wanted to be reconciled. He wanted to have an understanding. And that night, while he was so concerned about the 400 men that Esau had with him, God appeared to Jacob, changed his name. But beloved, Jacob said he saw the Lord's host. And we speak about the Lord of hosts. And the reference here is to the heavenly host, to the host of power, which God is able to call. And in the Old Testament, his ministry of revelation included the appearance of these angels, or the angel of the Lord, of these three messengers that came to Abraham. These messengers just came. But God has ceased that manner of revealing himself in these days. Since we have the Holy Scriptures, God's given us all we need to know, and we're not to turn around and look and anticipate any such thing. 
Christ has come. He's been raised from the dead. He's appeared in the presence of the Father, and we have his word now to guide us. But somebody says, well, why didn't Jesus Christ just appear here like uh, one of these uh, angels or come fully uh, grown and carry on his ministry for three years and let it be that? Why was it that he had to be a little babe and he was born in a manger and he came to be 12 years of age and he confounded the wise men in the temple and then he was a carpenter's son and at the age of 30 he started an open public ministry and there was John the Baptist that came before him and his ministry only lasted three years and they crucified him and then he was raised from the dead. Why all this long process? Why did it arrange itself in this way? What is the reason for it? And if there is a reason for it, should we be told what that reason is? There is a reason for it. We have been told what that reason is. And furthermore, when we come to the Christmas season with all of the people about us out buying and selling and scurrying and running here and there with their packages and their bundles and women, I saw a woman the other day with such a big plastic package she couldn't even get in the bus door. And I thought, well, where in the world is that woman going? But all this sort of thing that's taking place around us, and what's it all centered around? Well, it's centered, so far as we're concerned, in the entrance of Jesus Christ into this world as the babe in Bethlehem's manger. Now, in answer to the question that we've raised, there are three things which we wish to point out tonight. And all three of these are uh, in the scriptures, and all three of them explain why it was done this way. In the first place, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And in order to save his people from their sins, there had to be a complete identification a complete identification. There isn't the slightest fraction of a moment or a time so far as the span or the life of a person is concerned that isn't covered completely by Jesus Christ. And this passage which we have in our text says that in the fullness of time, it was all planned, it was all ordained, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, God had ordained that the ministry which Christ would have in bringing us back to himself, in the ministry which Christ would have as the God-man, it would be a complete identification. You realize that sin has entered into the very life and the heart of man, and there's nothing about man that isn't affected and colored by it. All of these things that relate to birth and the troubles that are attendant upon it, all of these things that relate to children and the problems that are attendant upon it and the mortality rate, all of these things are related to what's happening happened to us. And God Almighty ordained that when his son came down here to take care of us and deliver us from our sin, it would be a complete identification with man. And so he began with the conception by the Holy Spirit 
And this little one grew as any little child would grow. He forever sanctified the womb. He forever sanctified birth. He forever sanctified everything that a little child represents. Jesus Christ, as he entered into this world of sin, came at the point where life itself starts, and there the Holy Ghost, by his almighty power, was the agent of uh, a conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and from that moment on, that little one grew and grew and grew until birth, and then continued to grow and grow, and this identification was absolutely perfect so far as we are concerned. Now may I just read you from our own confession of faith, and may I present to you some of these great and glorious truths which have been summarized for us. And in the larger catechism, I'm especially favorite to the larger catechism these days because the old Presbyterian Church doesn't have any of it at all. They've thrown it completely away. It doesn't exist anymore, the United Presbyterian Church. And it's in this larger catechism that you have more of these details than any place else in our great doctrinal standards. Question 37. How did Christ become, being the Son of God, become man? Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body. Well, where does the the beginning of the true body take place in the process of our existence in generation by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul where does the soul of man find its beginning in this conception that's where it is and for him to have a soul of man and to have a body of man we are told that it pleased God in the fullness of time that he would be born of a woman. Being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, of her substance, and born of her, yet without sin. And Jesus Christ, in order to be fully man, in order to be completely identified with you and me, in order to be a part of the human race in its completeness. It was ordained of God that he should be conceived by the Holy Ghost and then that he should be born of this virgin and born of her yet without sin. And beloved, when you look at the little babe in Bethlehem's manger and behold him, you say, what do you see in the little babe? You see in the little babe the complete identification with us with our order, with our troubles, with our processes as God has ordained them from the date of conception to birth and on up as the little children go. And God has given to us in Jesus Christ no possible place where you can raise a question and say, well, he wasn't with us in this period. He wasn't with us at this time. He doesn't belong to the whole human race. He's some kind of a peculiar freak that was imposed at about four years or ten years or twelve years. And one of the problems that arises, you know, by all these modernists, you know, they try to tell us he had a normal birth and Joseph was his father. But sometime through there, he did become the son of God. Well, nobody knows when it happened. Sometime or other, uh, this little lad was growing, and sometime or other, God uh, dealt with him, and he became the Son of God. Now, that's the explanation that some of these modernists and apostates try to give you. But when they give it, 
they completely separate him from a complete identification with us in the human race. And Jesus Christ, to be our Savior, had to be fully with us, fully identified as a part of us, a full and complete man in every possible sense of the word. And that's why it was. Beloved, you can look at that little babe in Bethlehem's manger and your understanding it goes far beyond the little baby's cry. It goes far beyond the swaddling clothes. It goes far beyond all of those things to a realization that, that at this point he's identified with us. At 12 years he's identified with us. At 30 years he's identified with us. Being rejected, he's identified with us. As bearing our sins on the cross, he's identified with us. As being raised from the dead, the first fruits of them that slept. As he comes out, he's the great, glorious victor over death. And because of his identification with us, he carries us with him, those of us whom he has chosen to redeem. This is doctrine. This is our understanding of the meaning of the Incarnation. This is our understanding of the position and the place of the little babe in Bethlehem's manger. And it's such truth. It's this glorious understanding of what God Almighty did in a complete identification with man. He did it in Jesus Christ, our Savior. All right, in the second place. In the second place we have in the little babe of Bethlehem and all that God has ordained in connection with it, a full intervention by the supernatural. I uh, delight in the supernatural. I glory in this power of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's only the power of God that keeps us through faith unto salvation. And we have in the coming of this little faith the announcement of the angels. They were the first one to tell anybody about it and the heavens opened to do it. We have in the coming of this little babe in Bethlehem's manger the birth of a virgin the ordinary processes of generation as the human race has been confined to them by the creation ordinances were set aside and the Holy Spirit became the father of conception and when you turn to these great passages that reveal these things to us especially the, uh, the gospel according to Luke where Luke says that uh, we believe these things and We've been informed by those who were eyewitnesses of these accounts. And then Luke proceeds to give us the story of the coming of the angel Gabriel. First he appears unto Zechariah. It's a full intervention. He appeals unto Mary and tells her, Hail, thou art highly favored of God. And God explains to Mary that the Holy Ghost shall come over her. And that she shall be the mother of God. She shall be the mother of the Son of God. She shall give birth. And that that holy child, that holy one which is born of her, shall be called the Son of God. 
How shall these things be, she said. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. This is Gabriel speaking. This is the message from heaven telling her how it's going to take place and that the Spirit of God will come, explaining to her exactly what process God has ordained. And Mary said, Be it unto me according to thy word. And Gabriel said unto her, For with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Nothing's impossible with God. And then as the story unfolds, Mary took all these things and hid them in her heart. Mary understood that the Almighty God had her in his hand. And Mary understood that the Almighty God was intervening, that God was doing something with her and in her and giving her a son which would be indeed the son of the living God. You have here a full intervention of the supernatural. My, how I delight in it today, beloved. I delight in it. Here's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Here it is. And then I was there just two weeks ago, you remember, the empty tomb. Come see the place. Come see the place. Then come, here's where he was born. Here's the place where he came. And beloved, his entrance into this world was by a stupendous miracle. His climactic ministry after his crucifixion was his resurrection, which was the greatest miracle of all time and the greatest miracle of all Scripture. And the two great miracles of Scripture, we're both wrought by the power of God, but the one that stands supreme and takes its place on a higher level than every other miracle that's ever been recorded in Holy Scripture is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the second one that takes its place alongside of it was the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Here they stand, the beginning his entrance, his resurrection after his death. And here he walked the lifespan and walked the road that we walked from a babe and a youth and his early days, his public ministry, his rejection, and the span which we ourselves are committed to. We can't get out of it. We can't detour. We can't throw it aside. It's from the birth until the grave. And in the birth of Jesus Christ, it was supernatural. In the grave of Jesus Christ, it was supernatural. He burst asunder the bands that held him, and he came out of it alive and victorious. And because of that, we have a message tonight. You look at that little babe at Christmas time, and it represents, it doesn't symbolize. I'm not talking about symbolism. I'm not talking about mythological appropriations. I'm talking about reality. God Almighty intervened. God Almighty came in all the fullness of his power to do everything that was necessary so you and I could have complete peace and satisfaction in this understanding.
May I read you now? Verse, uh, question 38. Why was it requisite that the mediator should be God? Answer. It was requisite that the mediator should be God, that he might sustain and keep the human nature from sinking under the infinite wrath of God and the power of death. Give worth and efficacy to his sufferings, obedience and intercession, and to satisfy God's justice, procure his favor, purchase a peculiar people, give his spirit to them, conquer all their enemies, and bring them into everlasting salvation. Why was it requisite that the mediator should be man? It was requisite that the mediator should be man that he might advance our nature, perform obedience to the law, suffer and make intercession for us in our nature, having a fellow feeling for our infirmities, that we might receive the adoption of sons and have comfort and access with boldness unto the throne of grace. Thus, why was it requisite that he be God? Why was it requisite that he be man? Why was it requisite that he be God and man in one person? Answer. It was requisite that the mediator who was to reconcile God to man should himself be both God and man, and this in one person, that the proper works of each nature might be accepted of God for us and relied on by us. Oh, to rely on this perfect man, to rely on this perfect God, to rely on the two being brought together so that a complete atonement and satisfaction could be met in every particular. Beloved, the plan of salvation is a perfected plan. The work of God for your redemption and my redemption in the little babe of Bethlehem is without flaw. There's nothing in any particular about it that was not correct and was not right. Relied on by us as the works of the whole person. Why was our mediator called Jesus? Our mediator was called Jesus because he saveth his people from their sin. And in this Christmas season we preach that this one saves from sin. And then we explain that he's perfect man born of the virgin. And God ordained it so he could take our place and he could represent us without the consequences of sin in his body and in his soul. We see in him perfect deity, the second person of the eternal trinity that created the universe and has everything in his power and everything in his hand. And here he stoops down to the manger as a little babe in all humility, that he might be completely and fully identified and that we might have a full intervention by God. Beloved, when God intervened to save you and me, he didn't do it in a halfway job. 
He didn't do it with some imperfections that might cause trouble. He did it in a perfectly ordered plan and purpose whereby he would take man made in his image who had fallen into sin and under his curse and man could now again be lifted up and restored and that image could be restored in him after the knowledge and after the likeness of Jesus Christ. And beloved Christmas to you and me is the entrance of God into the world. Christmas to you and me is the coming of the only person who is able to save and when he saved, he saves completely. Now in the third place. And that brings us to this great passage in Galatians. The birth of Jesus Christ of a little babe represented a perfect fulfillment. A perfect fulfillment. First, we have a complete identification. We discussed that. Second, we have a full intervention, the supernatural fully intervening. And third, we have a perfect fulfillment. And I'm not thinking just the fulfillment of the prophecies. They were, they were fulfilled. But I'm thinking of the fulfillment of the law. Born of a woman. Born under the law that he might redeem us from the curse of that law. Beloved, the curse was upon the woman. She was the first one to partake of the forbidden fruit. And the curse fell upon Adam, the head of the race. And both of them went down under that curse which brought this experience of death which is spread abroad upon every one of us. And, beloved, in order to get that curse off which caused death, our Savior needed to get down in under this law. He needed to get down in the place where the law that had been the curse upon the woman and the curse upon the man and the wages of sin is death and sin is the transgression of the law. It was necessary for him to get down in under that law and come up in a position where he could meet the demands of that law and he could keep that law in his perfection and he would not sin. And when you see that little babe in Bethlehem's manger, it is a perfect babe. None of the problems, none of the difficulties, none of the sorrows, none of the deformities, none of these things that attend human birth through the centuries, none of these things are in any way identified with this Savior of ours. He was a perfect man, a perfect child, born of a woman and born under the law that he might redeem us from the curse of that law. And when I tell you tonight, beloved, he was born as a baby so he could get into this process where the curse abided and get under the substance of this law so that he could be a partaker of the responsibilities of us in relationship to that law. Beloved, if he hadn't been born as a baby and hadn't gotten under the curse of the law and hadn't been put into this thing in the very beginning, he couldn't have saved us. He had to be a baby. He had to be a baby to get in under that law so he could fulfill its demands 
by perfectly keeping that law. Turn to Galatians, the third chapter, please. Oh, just look how Paul develops it. And in this third chapter, in verse 13, he says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's in the 13th verse. He's been talking about this law ever since he started over here. Verse 10 he says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. It is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written the law, in the book of the law to do them. And that no man is justified in, by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live by them. And no man can do them. No man can live by them. No man can possibly meet these demands. But it was our Savior who came in under the law and under these demands who did meet them. He did keep it. He was without sin. And the sinless nature of the babe in Bethlehem's manger is absolutely required if you're going to be saved. If there was one speck of sin on this little one, you are not saved and never will be saved. But it is the sinless nature of this little one as he came under that law to keep that law for us. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of that law. He kept it. He satisfied its demands being made a curse for us. As it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree and they put him on the cross that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ and all oh, we Gentiles are celebrating his birthday this Christmas, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of man, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or added to it. That's right. We have a covenant coming up here this week with Congress Hall. They're going to come in with papers to sign. We agree to say this, and they agree to do that. And when it's agreed and signed, that's it. And you don't add to it, and you don't take from it. It's a man's covenant. It's a man's agreement. We call them agreements of sale. Or whatever kind of agreement you may have of this nature, you come to terms, they're signed, they're sealed, they're agreed to. And, and Paul is arguing here now when it comes to the matter of God's covenant. God's made promises to us. And these promises are in the great covenant of grace which he's given unto us in Jesus Christ. Brother, I speak after the manner of man. Though it be a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man doth annulleth or added to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he saith not as to seeds, that is many seeds, as of many, but as of one, and that is Christ. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. Abraham knew I'd be born of a babe. Abraham knew I would come into this world. Abraham knew I would keep the law. Abraham knew I would be born under the law. Abraham knew these things, and he rejoiced to see my day. And the seed that would bless the nations that God promised to Abraham was Jesus Christ. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ the law which was 430 years afterwards cannot disannul. Don't think for one minute that the law which came after the promise he gave to Abraham, that Abraham would be saved by faith and the father of the faithful, that something coming after that such as the law could disannul this great promise. 
And then he continues to argue about the words of faith. Verse 23, But before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up! Unto the faith that should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law which was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after the faith is come, we're no longer under that schoolmaster. We have found Christ. We have been justified. We have been freed from the curse of that great law. For as ye are all the children of God by faith, for as many of you as who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew, there's neither Greek, there's neither bond, there's neither free, there's neither male, and there's free male. Everyone comes to Jesus in the same way. Everyone who looks at the babe in Bethlehem's manger must realize that what he did for one, he did for all. And what he did for the Greek, he's done for the Jew. And what he's done for the male, he's done for the female. And so we preach the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We preach it. And it's the word of faith which we preach. It's the word of faith which comes into our souls and we believe it. And it's the little babe in Bethlehem who's made it possible for us to have this deliverance and this faith. Born of a woman. Now notice verse chapter 14. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, differeth nothing from the servant, though he be Lord of all. And he's arguing here that in the fullness of time the Lord came and all this thing was fully revealed to us. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And by faith we have received the adoption of sons. By faith we are the children of God. By faith we observed Christmas in 1967 that we might tell other people about our God and about what he did when he sent this little babe in here, sinless and perfect, that this little one might be used in God's eternal purposes to die for sin. Christmas means the gospel. The babe of Bethlehem means salvation. God has come down to do a work, and that work has been perfectly fulfilled. By the Christian religion, beloved, it is the truth. It is the only truth. And it is the one and only truth message which can bring a pardon from sin and a life of power and grace and a hope of a resurrection and the assurance that this God in Christ rules the universe and everything is in his keeping and in his care. Beloved, this gets down to the rock bottom. This gets down to an understanding of the great doctrines which have been revealed. And when you see them and when you understand them, then you can sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. Oh, beloved, Christmas doesn't belong to these modernists. It doesn't belong to these apostates. It doesn't belong to those who throw out the infallibility of the Bible and scoff at the virgin birth. Christmas does not belong to these renegades who've turned away from the revelation. Christmas does not belong to the communists who repudiate God and mock and scoff at him. Christmas belongs to the Bible believer. 
Christmas belongs to those of us who see that God became a baby in the person of the babe of Bethlehem that we might have a complete identification that he might be completely identified with man from the moment of conception until the moment of death. And then he goes beyond it and opens the door of death and gives us the hope of a resurrection. That's what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. You know, I'm disturbed about the way in which young people are taught and instructed in our fundamental churches. I'm disturbed about it. And then they go out to some college somewhere or maybe they go out into some other area of activity and the first thing they know they begin to look down their nose on what their parents believed and they begin to accept these slighting and uh, offensive remarks about this idea that the little babe does something for you and the scoffers arrive and I want to say that I think that's possible because the young people have never gotten to the very core and the very heart of what this thing means and what it is you haven't accepted what sin has done to ruin us and how God came down with a complete identification with us so he could be there to lift us up. We haven't accepted the fact, young people, that we're dealing with the supernatural. Oh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, accept it. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And young people, let's be saved on the basis of a supernatural work of God in changing us and making us new creatures. And let's accept everything that the supernatural has in it. Let's accept the totality of it. And then let's try not try to mix it up and to overlap it and to try to work it into some kind of humanistic explanation of things. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Yes, young lad, God became a baby to be fully incarnate in every particular. And let's believe all of this glorious doctrine. And then we serve the Savior. Certainly we love to look at him as the babe. Certainly we love the babe in Bethlehem. But we also love the lad of 12 years of age when he went into the temple. He still was the sinless one. Certainly we love him when he went out to John the Baptist and the messenger from heaven, the dove came and was on his head and the voice, this is my beloved son. And certainly we love him when he stands by Lazarus' tomb and says, Lazarus, stand up on a histomy. Stand up, Lazarus. And Lazarus, stand up. Certainly we love him when he comes to his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and he's walking on the water. Yes. Certainly we love him when he's on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration and here's Moses standing there with him. And Peter says, I am a witness of this. And I saw the glory that was around about him. Certainly we love him. He's still the same person. And no matter where he is, from Bethlehem's manger to the top yonder of Mount Carmel where he stood, no matter where his ministry may be, no matter where we see him, here he stands 
complete identification, the fullest of intervention, and then a glorious and perfect fulfillment of the law that he might redeem us from its curse and that we might have this hope which is in Jesus Christ. Now you young ladies, you young boys here tonight, are you the girl who said you had ten shoes? Where did she go? Did she go home? What happened to my girl with ten shoes? I'm going to remember her for a long time with her ten shoes. Imagine ten shoes. That's a pair of shoes for every day for ten days. Young lady, you can count your shoes. But if you can do that, you can also understand why the baby was the Son of God. You can understand and then we can bless God for his gift to us. Isn't it wonderful we can give at Christmas? Folks, I want you to pray for this Korean Christmas we have. $400,000. That's what we've asked for. Pray with me that God will give it and hearts will be open. The ungodly won't help us. The communist won't help us. The government won't help us. Well, we don't want their help anyhow. But, oh, beloved, only the people of God only the people of God will help in giving to this little babe of Bethlehem. Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for this message tonight. And when the church about us, closed and cold and empty, preachers out in the streets stirring up revolution, oh, Father, we thank thee tonight that from this sacred death we have a fresh and glorious view of the babe of whom the angels sang. Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Oh, may the love of this little one give us that goodwill and give us that peace which passeth understanding in our hearts. For Christ's sake, amen.